Hello, welcome to the Cosmic Navigator second season, episode number three, I presume. So we're moving into the sphere of understanding being number three. And because we're season number two, we are in wisdom. So we are actually trying to understand wisdom and be wise with understanding, as the Book of Creation said. And I hope you're dealing somewhat okay with the Mercury retrograde. I know a lot of uh, world leaders, we'll talk about some examples, had a harder time. Maybe because Mercury is now retrograding in Libra. And Libra is the sign of diplomacy. So maybe it affects uh, people that way. But uh, what we'll do is we'll look actually at one leader particularly and his incident with a pen and uh, see in what way we can learn from that about how to work with Mercury retrograde in your own um, world, uh, basically. And of course, Libras are not only diplomats, you know, not all Libras are diplomats and not all diplomats are Libras, but Libras do need to practice their diplomacy because Libra is ruled by Venus. We are now in the jurisdiction of uh, Libra. No, not yet. Sorry. We're in Virgo yet. Sorry. We're going to move into that uh, during this week. So this week is actually very exciting because we have the solstice coming, sorry, the equinox coming, the day when the night and the day are equal, equinox, nox is night, equal, equal night, but it's also equal the day. But what is interesting about uh, what was going to happen in about three days or so is that we're moving from the masculine side of the year to the more feminine side of the year. So the year is divided into the yin part and the yang part. And they start, of course, the astrological year starts the 21st of March on the equinox that is on the other half of the year, the day that differentiates between Pisces, which is the end of winter, and Aries, which is the beginning of spring. So at that time, we have the beginning of the masculine side of the year. You know, in the old worlds, the guys would leave probably with their sons to the field, start planting, then until they're harvesting, sometimes they would stay all the way in the field, or at least most of the time they will be in the field, leave early in the morning and come home late at night. So it is considered to be the young period of the year. And from the equinox of the fall equinox in the northern hemisphere, of course, that was the time that the harvest is done, right? Virgo is during the harvest. And in Libra, we weigh what we have sown and how much we have ripped, in a sense. I mean, how much did we put in the ground and how much did we manage to salvage out of the ground? So we are in the period of comparing, comparing our energy, comparing our uh, how much we invested and how much we can harvest. And then we move into the feminine side that starts in Libra, which is more coming home. So the boys and the men are coming back from the fields to the home and they spend more time with family. That's why it's associated more with family, family drama and the need for everybody to come together. And that's why the year gets darker and darker and darker. And then, of course, the cycle begins again in spring. So that's why in many traditions, this period of time, about the end of harvest, beginning of the uh, fall, uh, sometimes a little bit extending into the middle of fall, like in the case of the Celts, the new year happened, or the civil new year. So we see it in Babylon, um, even though Babylon actually started the year on uh, the first day of Aries, a lot of time the civil one was actually starting around this period. And that's why in Judaism they moved the year from starting in the new moon 
of Aries, the first day of the month of Nisan, which God specifically told Moses, you know, God is the biggest authority, Moses the greatest prophet, that the year should start on the new moon in Aries. That was specifically explained from above to below, but then the rabbis decided it is maybe a time to kind of go a little bit closer to the Near Eastern tradition and the Babylonian tradition, and they changed actually the new year to start on the seventh month, which is, of course, Libra. Libra is the seventh sign. I'll show you the sentence actually from the Bible where uh, God says to the people, don't start the new year then, but it should be on the seventh day of seventh, sorry, of the seventh month, you should have a day of remembrance and a day of no work. So the rabbis kind of like piggybacked on it and decided to make it Rosh Hashanah. And we'll talk a little bit about the connection to Adam and Eve and our mythological birthday. I'm going to do part of it today and part of it next week because I've realized that next week is actually when Rosh Hashanah is going to be the new year, uh, the Jewish new year and the new moon in Libra. So I always told you, these Sundays happen to always fall on very auspicious times. Eclipses we had, celebrations we had, and now we're having even Rosh Hashanah, which is the Jewish New Year, the actual New Year. But it is the new moon in Libra, and it is actually the middle of the year. So we're starting to wear green from uh, the 21st, 22nd, depends where you are, of September. It's going to be our fall equinox again. The day and the night are equal, which is a symbol of how the masculine and the feminine energies combine together into some kind of balance. Uh, when the night, uh, which is ruled by the sun and the day, sorry, the sun, uh, the ruler of the day and the moon, the ruler of the night, they come together uh, in complete balance. And that's why Libra is the sign of not only diplomacy, but relationships, partnerships, compositions, because everything you do needs to have some form of balance and harmony. So the beautiful thing about astrology is that when you look at all the attributes or the association of each sign, even though sometimes it looks kind of random, what is connection between diplomacy and marriage or design or beauty or justice? What It seems like randomly they put all together, but no. First of all, in your relationship, yes, intimacy is very, very important. That's why Libra borders with Scorpio, which is a sign of intimacy. It's at the end of Libra, meaning that uh, intimacy doesn't happen in the beginning of the relationship. Sex might, but not intimacy. Intimacy needs to be built very, very slowly. That's why it exists at the end of the relationship, uh, because the end of Libra is when we're moving into the realm of Scorpio, which is the sign of death and transformation and intimacy. But we do need a lot of diplomacy. We need a lot of reciprocal energy in a relationship. That's why uh, Libra, which is the sign of relationship, is ruled by Lamed in Kabbalah, the tallest letters uh, letter that we have in the alphabet that is located right in the middle, the same way that L in English is in the middle of the alphabet. And it represents the balance between the beginning, Alpha, and the Omega, the end. And Libra, in a relationship, may basically talks about how it is the relationship between the masculine and the feminine, the beginning and the end, uh, between red and purple. You know, green is in the middle of the uh, color wheel. So it represents a period where you have to have balance. So what we're working on in during the period of Libra is relationships, of course. It is balance. It is how to be diplomatic, meaning that it's not all about war, about being right or being uh, dominating about other people or forcing them to have our opinion. It's about conversation. It's about balancing. And 
it is about harmony. So relationship by default is something that you do need to be diplomatic. Yes, you do need that intimacy and you do need to serve each other because remember on the other side of Libra is is uh, Virgo, which is the sign of service. And I always look at the zodiac and the colors of the zodiac, the meaning of that frequency by looking at what bordering the two, arch two sides of the archetype because it, there is leaks from both sides. The same way that... Uh, I like to plant trees at the border of properties because then they cover both properties. Then the uh, people from uh, the neighbors can also enjoy the fruits of my labor. And if they plant trees over there, their branches reaches over the fence and I can enjoy their fruit. So the same thing with the Zodiac. If you're, let's say, a Taurus, you're enjoying the fruits that Aries planted and the fruits that Gemini planted. So it's always really important. Depends, of course, where you are in your uh, archetype, where you are in your sign. And that's the best way to look at it is to look up at your uh, zodiac side, your, your chart, and to see where you have your sun. The sun looks like a circle with a little dot. And to see what is the degree next to it. So you'll see there is a degree between 0 to 29. So if you're in 15, 14, 16 degrees the sign, you're smack in the middle, you're like in the most pure form of that archetype. But if you're located above 17, 18, you know, towards the 30, 29 degrees, or between the 0, 0 to about 13, 14, you're in the beginning of the zodiac, of your zodiac sign, and you might be influenced by the sign before. And that's why I like the color wheel, because it's not like you can look at the color wheel and say, okay, Aries is red, and uh, I don't know, Taurus is, let's say, red, orange. You're going to have to look at it as it slowly, gradually move from one color to the other. So uh, Aries is only red, red, red in the middle. The beginning of Aries is kind of red, uh, crimsony, because it's influenced by the, the Pisces and the Aquarius purple. And if it's in the uh, end of Aries, it's influenced by the orange, yellowish uh, energies of Gemini and Cancer and Leo. So... I urge you to look at your chart. Again, we're going to do a whole weekend of trying to really understand astrology on, in Omega when I'm going to be there between the 14th of October to the 16th of October. So I hope, I know some of you guys already told me you're coming. Thank you very much. And I'll see you there when the colors of the leaves actually move from being green, which is the color of Libra, into orange, Gemini, and eventually red, Aries and then they drop off it's kind of it's really interesting because you know how we as we grow older we kind of regress back to our childhood in a sense the same thing I think happens to trees they start off with their green when they're balanced when they're in harmony you know trees grow all the way up until they die but every year when they pretend to die when they pretend to withdraw into their uh, womb in a sense they move their colors from green all the way back to Aries they kind of go back the same way that we do. So anyway, let's see what's going on this uh, week in relation to everything. Yes, at least in relation to the planets. So if you are in uh, Williamsburg or if you are in New York, I just added on October 6th at 7 p.m. A, a free lecture and a book signing. I should have the books ready by then. So if you are in New York, please join me. Uh, come in person. It's a free event. We're going to talk about 2023 and we're going to have some book signings for 2023. And that's going to be in a nice coffee shop in uh, Brooklyn. 
And I also added another time travel meditation uh, class in October 23rd. Uh, it's based on a TV show I actually show I actually seen. And um, it gave me a really nice idea of a concept of time travel meditation, even though I've been developing it for a while with clients here. Uh, you'll see it's a very emotional and very powerful meditation. It's more than meditation. It's almost like an hypnosis technique. So we'll talk about that and how to gain your power to connect to your passion. And especially we're doing it during Scorpio. It's going to be October 23rd. So I hope to see you there. And let's see at a few things that I thought about. Yeah, this is a slide I saw about the queen uh, walking away with uh, uh, the Pennington bear and her corgi um, pet. Or it's more than a pet. But anyway... Funny enough, she's wearing a green uniform, as you can see, and she's um, with her back to us. She's already dead. And she said something like, I've done my duties, Paddington. Please take me to my husband. And it's kind of interesting because bears are the oldest worshipping worshipped deity on the planet. And the bear, the, originally the name of the bear was Arthur. So it's kind of interesting. Arthur is the first king, uh, mythologically speaking, that united uh, the kingdom in a sense. Uh, we think that it might be an inspiration of King Alfred the Great uh, from Wessex. But Arthur, basically, if you look, the origin of the name means a bear. And here we have the queen. I don't know if she's going to be the last main queen or worshipped queen or whatever. But it's kind of interesting. It's almost as if, mythologically speaking, she's walking there with Arthur, you know, the bear, into uh, to get back to uh, the light. And then I saw this picture of the, it's kind of the rainbow queen and it shows all of her outfits. She wore, she used to wear, she was very famous for wearing, instead of wearing one color, some people like to be attached to one color, she got you uh, attached to color coordination of different colors, very bright, saturated colors, which is kind of interesting. It's very hard not to put it in the context of what we just talked about. It's, again, we're moving into Libra very soon, uh, which is the sign of fashion and design. So it's interesting that over the 75 years, she collected all of the color schemes possible and all of the colors of the rainbows. That's why I put um, just seven of them. One, two, three. Four, yeah, seven of them here. But you see how it starts with red, which is Aries, and end all the way in the middle. In the middle, you see the green, of course, of uh, Libra. And then you see the Scorpio turquoise, you see the green of Sagittarius and the purple that belongs to Aquarius and Pisces. You see the red of Aries, the green of Gemini, the Leo yellow. It's really beautiful. So if you put all of the uh, colors that she ever wore and you put it all in a circle, you'll see the zodiac wheel. And it's really, I thought about it, how uh, the lines in London, there was really interesting articles about uh, this phenomena, you know, the lines that extend all the way, all the way uh, from south, um, uh, basically all the way on the Thames, you can, for miles and miles and miles, people waited up to 24 hours to bid farewell uh, to the Queen. And it's interesting that people were there from all walks of life, from all uh, all over the world, basically, even people that were not her subjects, per se. And it's called the queue. And of course, in London, they know how to stand in line. If it would have been in Istanbul or Tel Aviv, it would have been a disaster. There probably would have been fights by now or some people stabbed. But uh, it's interesting to see when you actually talk to people there in the line, the reason why they said that they are willing to stand for 24 hours and actually find joy in it is because they feel that this is their way to 
repay her for the 70 years service that she gave. They're suddenly realizing that, yes, she had to stand a lot in lines. I mean, lines of soldiers that she has to go through. Or uh, her schedule was so packed with so many events, nonprofits and so forth. So many people paid probably a lot of money per table in her events that usually went to nonprofits in philanthropic work. So people recognized that their way of saying thank you instead of just saying thank you is to stand in line there, to actually interact with the rest of the people that share their idea of how to serve the lady of service, in a sense. And then I thought about how service begets service, even if that service was standing in line for 24 hours. And, you know, there's so many stories there about people coming from Hong Kong. I gave you the example here. People coming from the United States, Canada, from certain countries in Africa, you know, from China. And it's really interesting. They all bonded there together. And some of the people said that they created these groups because, yeah, you're standing there in line for a whole day with a single mindedness, a, a single purpose that unites everybody on that line. It became like a, a little entity in a sense, like a snake that is um, associated with people. And it's really interesting because, again, death and transformation is associated with Scorpio, which is the snake. It is a fixed sign, Scorpio, which is death which is all about these people standing in line fixed to their order. But the interesting thing is that some of them created these WhatsApp uh, groups and they plan to meet later on. So even in her death, she did bring some union. And then I thought about how service begets service. They say like attracts like. It's not only like that attracts like, like, like begets like, meaning that you do a certain things. It's more than just you inspire people. It almost radiates out of you the same way that the sun is so hot and it sends hotness out there and it heats things. And those things that are hot now start heating other things in a way. So it's how service begets service. And, and her example in her life and her death are really powerful. I think that people that know how to live their life really well also know how to continue living after they're dead. And I'm talking a lot about artists, a lot about uh, people who are writer, authors, even politicians, even people of service, that their life was so impact impactful that de their death, instead of ceasing something, actually started generating it even more, regenerating it in a sense. And then I thought about the dark side of what's going on lately, and I thought about how liars beget liars. You know, and I thought about how in, you know, the, when you talk about liars, at least in the United States, you have the big lie and the idea of uh, somebody refusing to lose well and somebody refusing to declare the election uh, over. Uh, he can lie. It's okay. One person liar, it's fine. But he started spreading the line so, uh, lie so that one third of, hum of um, people in the United States are starting to lie as well. And they start believing in those lies and persuade other people to lie. So the same way that service begets service, liars beget liars. And that's something that I kind of learned, uh, even though it maybe was somewhere in my head, it didn't download to the place to be registered. So I hope it makes sense for all of us and that in our service, we might beget more service and we have to be careful of our lies or our nastiness because lies begets lies and nastiness begets lastiness, you know. So we have to take a little bit more responsibility about it. It's also interesting, this Mercury retrograde, right when Mercury retrograde hit, it was pretty strong for Putin. Uh, Putin is a Libra, funny enough. He has his Mercury in Libra. 
And right when Mercury went stationary and retrograde, they had this conference, you know, with China and with uh, um, India and and uh, Russia and some other countries that came together. And uh, Putin was kind of presenting it as if the West cannot basically excommunicate him because he was in a conference with half of the world and they invited him. Yes, but uh, China's friendship that was considered to be without limit started feeling a little bit limited for him. India reproached him and told him that Modi told him that it's not the time for war right now. China was really silent about um, uh, that, but making it very reproaching towards uh, Putin. So he even had to kind of apologize, you know, as well as Putin can apologize. But it's really interesting because his Mercury is in Libra. He is a Libra. And the minute Mercury went into Libra, not only he had this reproach from China and India, his only allies, but also the reverse of the um, situation in eastern Ukraine and losing, what, thousands of square kilometers in a few days, which is so embarrassing that even now in Russia, they're starting to have voices out there. Uh, starting to kind of um, show some dissidents. Of course, these are the more crazy people who are saying, no, we should completely attack much more, all the nationalists and uh, the crazy right wing. But uh, all of the uh, left wing and the people who are more sane either left or in jail. So it's a little bit harder for them to protest it. But the idea is that Mercury retrograde does affect, you know, and especially because it's in Libra, like I told you, it is much more in the realm of diplomacy. Another example um, was, wait a sec, that I'm going to talk about later. Yeah, uh, with uh, King Charles III. Uh, it was kind of blunt. Uh, he was supposed to sign some documents or some, uh, uh, was it a guest book, I think, in Ireland and then in another place. And he kept saying, oh God, I hate this. This is one of the first, you know, memes you can say from the king, which is not the best thing. Why? It was over a leaking pen. Um and he had that pen twice or the different pen that leaked twice. And it's kind of interesting. He said, oh, God, I hate this pen. Charles said, standing and handing the pen to his wife. I mean, OK, if you hate it, why do you give it to your wife? But, oh, look, it's going everywhere. She agreed with him. I can't bear this bloody thing every stinking time. Now, again, um, we expect from uh, he's a Scorpio. So maybe he can be kind of angry at pens and maybe it's a good thing he didn't kind of like break the pen. But the idea is that uh, he also made another mistake. He wrote, wrote the wrong date. It was the 13th of September and he uh, uh, not the 12th of September. So it doesn't matter. I mean, I'm just saying this is Mercury retrograde. So then I thought, OK, let's look at his chart and see where the Mercury is retrograde uh, because we know that it's in Libra so we can see how it manifests in life. And funny enough, uh, the Mercury retrograde that he ex experienced being in Libra is right on the border between his house of home and family. Obviously, um, he went to sign the visitor uh, book because his mother died. So it's right at the border of the house of home and family, the house of my mother, which is the fourth house, and the third house, which is funny enough, the house of writing and communication. So Wherever you have Libra in your chart is where Mercury is now retrograding. It's going to ret move the retrograde. I mean, the retrograde is going to move on the 23rd into Virgo because it's going backward to a different sign. So you can look where you have in your chart Libra and where you have Merc uh, uh, 
Virgo, and those are the places that are going to feel more confusing to you or the place where your confusion can be monitored or can be seen or can be felt. And also, it's going to be important for you to look at where you have Mercury natally, meaning where you actually have Mercury in your chart. So that house and the house where you have Libra is the places where you might find the most amount of uh, meaningful uh, let's say mishaps but these mishaps of mercury a lot of time expose things that are really important for us so if you find yourself in the wrong time in the wrong place because it's mercury retrograde take a breather and look around and see why am i here because maybe you're there not to meet the person you're supposed to meet but to meet somebody that you don't know that you're supposed to meet or to think about something that otherwise you wouldn't have thought because you had met that person who would be talking all the time and wouldn't let you think and now because you're waiting in the wrong place you have a lot of time to think about things and your thought this amazing thought that could really help you so pay attention and look in your chart where you have your mercury retrograde it's also interesting that there was a fireball uh, seen shooting through the skies from Scotland and Northern Ireland. It was a meteor. People were freaking out, but it happened a few days after the Queen's death. And it's interesting because in ancient astrology, a meteor always will show up either before or right after a monarch died. So ancient astrology sometimes is kind of right on, especially when it happened in Scotland, which is when she died. Uh, I couldn't avoid this article about the Queen, uh, the royal beekeeper. So apparently the royal keeper had to inform that his, uh, his bees, the royal bees, that Queen Elizabeth II uh, was dead. Uh, a lot of people mocked about it. It's kind of stupid. Why are you talking to bees? But apparently it's a very, very old tradition. It's not only in England. It exists also in other uh, royal houses in Europe. But in England, it's very, very strong. It's called telling the bees. And it's a standard practice. It goes back many, many centuries. And apparently, if it has very grave consequences, if it's not followed, uh, bees can die, bees can disappear. Who knows? Maybe we stopped informing the bees, and that's why a lot of them die all over the world, because we forgot how to speak to bees. Maybe bees were very important in the past. Don't forget that bees' job is to make honey, obviously, but to pollinate uh, the flowers. We can't avoid losing bees because then the bees are not going to communicate or be the messenger between plants that we eventually eat or sustain us. So what are bees? Bees are messengers. They're connectors. They are uh, associated with the archetype of Gemini, which is, of course, the communicator, the negotiator, and the mind. So talking to the bees is not that crazy, at least mythologically speaking or archetypically speaking, because bees are the messengers. They are supposed to understand. You know, maybe they don't understand English precisely if you speak to them in English, but maybe they understand your tone or they understand your energy or maybe they can read your aura. I don't know, but bees are supposed to be communicative. So talking to the bees and telling the royal bees that um, the queen is dead is a big deal because, A, if that if that a custom exists. I'm sure that she visited the bees. If there is a beekeeper who the royal beekeeper, I'm sure that there is some ritual or some celebration or some occasion when the queen goes to visit them and does something. So those kind of things, ritual. Remember we talked about Leo royalty being associated with ceremony and ritual. Um, the idea is that bees probably are somehow connected to it. Now, I don't know what they say precisely. Actually, I do. You see in the bottom I wrote for you what they actually say. They say, honeybees, honeybees, hear what I say. Your master has now passed away. It sounds like a nursery rhyme, but it's really beautiful. 
you have to add, of course, the name of your master. So again, honeybees, honeybees, hear what I say. Your master has now passed away. It's so beautiful. It's so simple. They are considered the bees to be members of the family, and that's why they should be informed of any major events, uh, birth, death, and the, picker, uh, the beekeepers would knock on each hives, deliver the news, and sometimes put a black cloth or a black ribbon around if it's a morning, morning period. So that's really beautiful, I think. I mean, some people can laugh about it and say crazy people, but other people can see that everything is connected and that the more you feel connected to bees, to uh, flowers, to trees, to plants, the more you are connected. Now, the interesting thing, I showed you this slide before. It's uh, the Empress card from the tarot, which is ruled by Venus. It's the letter Dalet, which means the door opener. Venus is the ruler of Libra, by the way. And you see that she is facing the right. And in all the coins and the um, uh, bills and the stamps, Queen Elizabeth all over the world is facing the right. And if you look really cl very closely on the outfit of the Empress in the tarot card, you will see the Queen Bee. So bees are very, very much associated with the empress, which represents the queen. And then when I looked at, oops, I thought I gave it to you. Put it here. Uh, I looked, yeah, I looked at uh, King George VI, her father. He turned left. Remember, we talked about it in the coins and in the stamps. And you see that the emperor in the tarot card also looks to the west, uh, to, uh, sorry, to the um, left. And he's associated with... Aries, and as you can see, right on his chest, right on his heart, is the bee, the connecting to the empress and the connection to royalty. So you see that bees associated with the emperor and the empress, the king and the queen, goes back a long, long time ago. Even in the terror, it manifests. Um, so... Yeah, the other thing that was happening this year, this week, uh, again, Mercury retrograde is kind of uh, very unfortunate because I was thinking about what was going on between uh, in Abbott and uh, Abbott in Texas with the governor there, Abbott, and in Florida with the governor DeSantis, and I was thinking about how uh, interesting it is. When I wrote the article about names in the Bible, one of the criteria of how you basically define name interpretation in the Bible, because in the Bible there's 80 times where the author or the authors uh, stopped and explained if there's a new character what the name means, for example, in the case of Moses, uh, for is one example. But the idea is that some of the names in the Bible are ironic names, and it's kind of a storytelling mechanism probably, because don't forget the Bible was first transmitted orally before it became written down and frozen. And they needed some techniques to know how to connect to characters. And my theory was that, and that's what I wrote the article about, that names were given a specific name to a character to hold space in the interpretation of the name of the most important attribute of that character so that you can tell the story in that genre, in a sense. So Noah, for example, Noah, remember Noah and the Ark, uh, the 40 days that he had to deal with this floating zoo? Noah mean in Hebrew calmness, relaxing, chilling, shanti, you know, and it's an ironic name because everybody knows that his life was very uncomfortable, literally, and very much uh, in uh, turmoil and very 
ironic to call him the resting person or the easygoing guy. Same thing with Avshalom. For example, Avshalom, the favorite son of King David, who was considered to be even more beautiful than David. And the name Avshalom means my father's peace. And he was the one that rebelled against his father, David, kicked him out, raped his um, wives and concubines in front of everybody, and eventually declared war against David and was killed by Yoav. So anyway, that's another form of uh, ironic name from the Bible. So everybody who knows the name Avshalom and knows what it means and knows his stories can kind of make, uh, not laugh, but at least smile about it. There's a few other characters in the Bible that have ironic name meaning. But in today's politics, it's definitely DeSantis, who is definitely the furthest away possible from being holy or being sacred. And Abbott in Texas, who is completely unchristian and does not behave like the Abbott that his name meaning is supposed to be. So we have all these God-fearing, uh, Bible-hugging states kind of uh, being very unchristian. And it appeared this week when they spent $12 million to ship, what, 50 people? I don't know. How much is the price of uh, shipping an immigrant from Texas through Florida uh, up to uh, Martha's uh, vine Vineyard in Massachusetts? I mean, it's even more expensive than, uh, I don't know, the most expensive first-class uh, ticket. I hope they have at least gave them a lot of food. But anyway, what happened with these poor immigrants coming from Venezuela is that they met this woman called Perla. She lied to them in the name of DeSantis and the name of Abbott in the name of the unholy trinity that they were going to get uh, their paper expedited much faster and that they will have work in Massachusetts, that they're going to Boston. Basically, they lied and lied and lied and lied and lied, got them on an airplane, which I think is kind of kidnapping, and then brought them there and then disappeared, completely disappeared. Not only that, they made them sign papers um, that they have to go on Monday, even though they landed in Saturday, um, to a different place in the United States to process their immigration um, uh, uh, application. So they shipped them into Boston and they told them on Monday you have to be in Houston back or in Washington uh, state or whatever. They basically put them in the listing. In other way, they lied and lied and lied, forged and lied. Anyway, it's really interesting because the whole idea of DeSantis is that, oh, I should send people to places like New York and L.A. so they know how to deal with foreigners. Well, in New York, 40% of the people are foreign-born. In L.A. and San Francisco, it's one-third. I'm one of them, so I can tell you that it kind of is real. I'm thinking about my neighbor next door is also born outside of the uh, United States. So... It's kind of everywhere, so it's not like we don't know how to deal with foreigners. We just might have more compassion. But it's kind of interesting what happened, and it's the reverse of Mercury retrograde. So again, Mercury retrograde does re this unpredictable reverse. He thought it's going to get his name much up higher. I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure among the liars, we talked about it, uh, liars beget liars, evil people beget evil people. So among the liars, of course, in the big lie movement, maybe he's considered to be a hero. But what happened in um, uh, Martha's Vineyard is that people stepped up actually to the plate. And it's really interesting. Kids from high school volunteered because they study Spanish to interpret and, and work as interpretation because the people from Venezuela obviously don't speak English, most of them. They brought soccer games, soccer balls. They bought dominoes. They brought a lot of games to them. It was really interesting to see how people stepped up to the plate and actually became the diplomats instead of Densantis and people like Abbott. 
I really hope that this, because it's Mercury retrograde and it's not yet Mars, stay, Mars is not yet a retrograde, so we can still sue people, that maybe this begins a, a process of um, some litigation. I understood that 30 of these uh, immigrants already have a lawyer, and hopefully that can move in the system much faster. Another retrograde that happened to us is with uh, TikTok. Apparently, it was down right when, uh, right in September 15. Again, Mercury in Libra. And also, remember I told you that as we move into September, October period, we're going to have the last square of Uranus and Saturn. And that, again, represents the idea of a um, traditionalist more opposite to our squaring progressive. That's what happened in this weekend. Uh, the rebels, for example, in Ukraine against uh, Putin, who represents much more Saturn. Uh, we have now the Armenia-Azerbaijan conflicts. Um, we have now in England people who are for the monarchy, which could be more Saturn, and people who are against it that are starting to surface. That's more Uranus. Then we have this period of September-October. All of these countries are going through um, some kind of elections. Israel, Sweden, Italy, Kuwait, Bosnia, Chad, Bulgaria, Brazil, Austria, Slovenia. All of those are going through election right at the time that Saturn and Uranus are squaring for the last time. Uh, Chile had the constitution um, referendum. It was promising to be the most Uranian of all, and it became and it was rejected because maybe it was too Uranian and Saturnian people were a little bit concerned. And of course, the whole idea of pro and again or anti-abortion that's happening here, at least in the United States right now. All of those are indication of that square of Uranus and Saturn. I told you it's peaking around the middle of October, so we still have some of it. October 22nd and 23rd is the equinox, Equinox, the day when the night and the day are equal. We're starting Libra on the 22nd, 23rd, depends where you are. Um, October, uh, September 23rd, sorry, Mercury is conjuncting the sun. And that's a big, big deal. So September 23rd, even though Mercury is stationary still, that's a very powerful day of clarity of mind, of understanding where you need to be. Maybe it's a good time to find lost object, lost people. So if you are thinking about somebody in your head all the time and you don't, you haven't heard what happens to that person or you have this urge to connect, try to find them on the 23rd. You lost something. You lost an idea. You lost your ability to write. You have a, a writing uh, crisis or, uh, or a crisis of faith or you have a writer blocks. Whatever is happening that needs to be kind of like ugh, uh, readjust, that's a great time in September 23rd. And September 26th is the new moon in Libra officially, even though uh, Rosh Hashanah is celebrated the 25th. Not always it falls precisely on the right time, but it's a good time to rekindle old relationship, reconnect to old artistic projects, edit designs, uh, cut out from your relationship, whatever is sabotaging. You know, it's a time that uh, a lot of movement is happening around September 25, 26, because it is the new moon that is associated with uh, Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is happening the 25th. I think it's a Sunday. I think here you celebrate it also on Monday. Also, I think Sunday and Monday. I think it's two days. Most, I mean, in Israel growing up, it was only one day. Uh, there is the new moon of Libra. It's always supposed to fall on the new moon in Libra because in the Bible it says uh, that it has to be on the seventh, on the first day of the seventh month. And the seventh month, according to the Bible, according to the lunar, lunar calendar, 
you know, we started on the new moon in Aries, you count seven, you will get to Libra, the new moon in Libra. So that's what the celebration of Rosh Hashanah is all about. It is a day, it's a day that was commanded by God supposedly to uh, take a day off and to remember. And uh, later on, the rabbis decided that what we need to remember is, of course, the contract between God and humanity. And, of course, that represents the birthday of Adam and Eve, according to the Talmud and later on according to Kabbalah. So what we're talking about is that every Rosh Hashanah, whenever it's celebrated, is the lunar birthday of Adam and Eve, which means humanity's, let's say, mythological birthday. I mean, if you think about the 2.5 billion um, worshippers, Christian worshippers, uh, 1.5, I think, Muslims. So we have about four, so it's like 60, what, 60, 60 something percent of the world that do believe one way or another in Adam and Eve, or at least uh, as a metaphor. So more than half of humanity is probably very linked to that idea of Adam and Eve existing, not existing, it's a, it's a, a metaphor, whatever. But the idea is that on the new moon in Libra, they were created, meaning that the sixth day of creation ended with their birth and it was happening on the new moon. So the la so God created the universe, you know, from Sunday, right? Let there be light. Uh, Friday, he created Adam and Eve. It, it, it's at the end of creation, which also makes sense because we came kind of at the end of evolution. So the trees were evolving first, then the uh, creatures in the sea, and then the creatures in the land, and then... Uh, us, human, then the monkeys, of course, and then we evolved out of them. So it kind of makes sense. So every anniversary uh, of human and God, our connection, God, uh, according to the rabbis, loses a little bit of interest. You know, it's starting to take our relationship for granted. It's like a, a like a married couple that after a while they start kind of getting each other for granted. That what happens to God, apparently, according to the rabbis, every year around the end of the year because it's been a year together and I'm kind of losing it. We're more like roommates here in the universe. You know, we lack the passion. So the whole Rosh Hashanah is to kind of seduce God back again, get him involved again. And also, some people believe it's the creation of the human soul. I found this really beautiful story from Baal Hashem Tov. He was uh, somebody who kind of renewed Kabbalah. And he's the forefather, I mean, he's the father of uh, the Hasidic movement that you can see in Brooklyn, in Israel, even though they completely left his real teachings. They became very dogmatic. Uh, he was telling everybody to wear white. They were wearing black and white. Uh, he was all about music and uh, freedom and storytelling. They became very kind of uh, religious and fanatical. But that happens all the time. I mean, look at Jesus and what he talked about. And look at uh, uh, people like DeSantis and his followers. Uh, look at uh, Baal Hashem Tov and look at the people that are, um, uh, you know, like <sighs> causing so much pain to other people because of their religiosity. So you see it everywhere that the origin might not necessarily be uh, the same as what came out of it. So the seed of the tree is not the same as the tree. But anyway, Baal Hashem Tov had this synagogue. Obviously, it was Rosh Hashanah and a strange boy kind of walked in 
And he was a very a simpleton. He was ignorant. He didn't know how to pray or what to say. He was not very good with talking. But he did, knew, he did know the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet. And what he did while everybody was trying to pray and be very, very um, right about how they pronounce the Hebrew word and so forth, he just kept saying A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, A, A, B, C, D, like repeating the Hebrew alphabet. Again and again and again, it was causing people to kind of get annoyed and all that. They wanted even to kick him out. But then the rabbi at the end said that the Jews or the Jewish world was saved this year because of the boy's presence and because of his prayer. Because what the rabbi said is that the boy told God, I don't know how to pray, but what I'm going to say is I'm going to give you all the letters possible. And hey, God, you just can arrange it according to the best prayer possible. So basically... This kid probably would have been a genius computer program programmer. Maybe he reincarnated later on to be one like that. And he basically gave all the binary possibilities or the combination of bytes possible for God to basically create the prayer that God feel is the best, which is kind of interesting. But that's something that you hear a lot about um, Baal Hashem Tov, that when you go the right way, the regular way, you do everything according to tradition, you might not open the skies. And if you do something that's kind of revolutionary, but coming from your heart, that is very personal, it's very Aquarius in nature, then you can really save not only yourself, but your entire uh, community. The word Rosh Hashanah, Shana, which means a year, actually has the same root as the word Shinui, which means to change. So the whole idea about Rosh Hashanah is that its job is to make a change, to make a difference, uh, to allow yourself to quit whatever you are doing and begin anew. And that's maybe why Virgo is the sign that comes right up to Libra, which means a purge, a purification, a catharsis that you need to do so that you can start the new year, almost as if you washed your old clothes, you washed yourself, and you're now purified and ready for the new year, for the change that the new year begin. That's why we have this whole new year resolution, because we want something to change every time a year passes. So that's why it's kind of interesting that the word, the Hebrew word for Shana, which is a year, is the same root as Shinui, which is change, and also a teeth, which is interesting because teeth are associated with karma. And this is the letter Shin in Hebrew, which represent teeth. You can see it's almost like teeth, uh, but it's the three flames, the flame again of the past, present, and future, the flames of change. So again, according to uh, the Bible, and the Lord said to Moses, speak unto the children of Israel, saying, in the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall be a solemn rest upon unto you, a memorial proclaimed with a blast of horns, that's the shofar, a, a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work, and you shall present a fire offering to the Lord. So that's the origin of Rosh Hashanah. He doesn't say that this is the new year. He said the new year was supposed to be six months precisely before, but it's almost like a mirror. You know, when you stand in front of something, you're inverted image, but it's still yourself. So Rosh Hashanah was an inverted image of the Jewish or the biblical new year. The interesting thing about it is that you have um, the idea of the ritual behind the food. And I wanted to do that really quick 
uh, before we go to see what's happening this week. And next week, uh, on the Rosh Hashanah itself, I'll bring my big horn like last year and uh, show you all the blows uh, so you can actually experience it if you're not going to go to a synagogue or if you don't have a shofar to do it yourself. So the idea of sacred food is really important. Remember, it's the opposite uh, holiday to Passover. In Passover, there is the Pesach, the Seder, the, the, the dinner that involves matzahs, it involves a whole ritual around di- di- dipping um, the matzah in, in different kind of substances and then using the, the wine to represent blood. All of that is associated with food. And the idea is that this is my blood you drink. This is my body you eat. That Jesus' idea is, and again, it's in Passover that he said that, is very, very connected to Judaism and many other traditions where food consuming something becomes a part of the ritual. So the same thing is happening even stronger in Rosh Hashanah. And because it's a Libra holiday, which is very heady and associated with words, uh, it's, a lot, it's a lot of games with puns. So for example, you have to eat date in Rosh Hashanah, which in Hebrew is called tamar. Date, I'm talking about datiles. I'm talking about not dating, even though dating is associated with Libra because it's relationship, but I'm talking about date, like the fruit. You eat a tamar because it's made of two words. Tam, which means the end of, and mar means bitterness. So what you're doing, you're eating that sweet fruit and saying, while you're saying I'm eating a tamar, I'm eating the end of bitterness. So that's kind of how it works. Then leeks in Hebrew is called karti, which in Hebrew, basically, which is the root of the same word to cut off. So that's why we have to cut off to nullify any kind of obligations we have or any kind of bad deeds. Because according to Judaism, every time you, de- you do something bad, think something bad, boop, you create an evil angel or a demon. And that demon is running around causing a lot of trouble. Remember I told you lies beget lies. So uh, bad thoughts beget little demons that are running around. And in Rosh Hashanah, you can cut them out. You can cut their life force in a sense by saying, I'm sorry. That's why Rosh Hashanah is followed 10 days later with Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. So beets in Hebrew is called selek. And selek has the same root as to get rid of, remove, cut away, uh, drive out. So it's, again, trying to drive out any kind of negativity away from us. Black-eyed peas, uh, also, they're calling Aramaic rubia, and rubia has the same root as many. So that's why we want many good things to happen. Or uh, for um, uh, pumpkin, kara in Hebrew, it's the same root as to tear away or to take away yourself from any kind of sins. Uh, pomegranate are eaten because they're a symbol of um, um, abundance and having a lot. And not to mention it's really strong in health. Ability. I mean, it has a lot of uh, uh, vitamin C, so it's also very good for your health. And apple and honey is also because you want it to be a new year that is sweet. Again, taking away the bitterness. But apples can be white, which represents the middle pillar in the tree of life. They can be red, which represents the contricting uh, pillar of severity. And they can be green, which represents eternity and the pillar of expansion. So again, food can be definitely a ritual. I don't know if uh, cheesecakes and stuff like that will be considered part of that idea. Uh, I wish it was. I wish coffee was part of that or biscottis. But apparently it doesn't work like that. Now, you might find uh, a lot of puns. Maybe that will be an interesting thing for you uh, for uh, Christmas or for Easter and then decide to eat certain foods that the meaning of the word or the similar root represents something that is important for that celebration. So we're at September 18. It's a Sunday. 
if you haven't noticed. And today the moon is in Cancer, which is actually very nice. It's a very emotional, sensitive moon. Uh, the moon loves to be in Cancer, and the moon is on top, on top of Minerva, the goddess of wisdom. So there is actually instinctual wisdom coming. I hope that it touched me also, and that I hope I, I made, made some sense to some people today. And hopefully it was a little bit emotional because the moon in Cancer on top of Minerva being in Cancer right now, she's going to be there for a few months, is actually very good to communicate and find wisdom either in your DNA, your genetics, that's Cancer, or with your family or family members. Remember we said Mercury is retrograde, still in Libra, and Venus is in Virgo. That means that there are mutual reception. Venus, the ruler of Libra, is in Virgo. Mercury, the... Sorry... Yeah, and Mercury, the ruler of Virgo, is in Libra. They switch places. And when that happens, they put together Venus and Mercury, or Virgo and Libra, which means practical, applicable, functional art. Art for service, service for art. Uh, anything that has to do with beauty that can heal. Balancing your health, balancing your diet. Why? Because Venus is balanced, that's Libra. Virgo is health and diet. So what's happening is you're putting those two things together. Mercury loves to be in Libra. Venus is a little bit bitchy when she's in Virgo. Uh, she can be more snappy, she can be more critical, or she decides not to talk at all because she's uh, a nun that doesn't speak right now. But uh, she's going to move into Libra, her sign, very soon, and that would make everything much easier. And Mercury is going to move into his... Uh, sign of exaltation and rulership which is going to happen in a few days and that's also going to facilitate the mercury retrograde but today speak with i feel be emotional be around family there's a lot of um, uh, ideas coming to you a lot of insights a lot of ability to help people tomorrow though the moon is moving away from being conjunct with uh, uh with wisdom with Minerva, and she's moving to be conjunct with the black moon, the mother of demons. So if we talked about demons being born out of our negativity, you could expect on Monday, Tuesday to hear some form of negativity, some form of projection of evil or projection of, of uh, uh, the worst side in people, either in the news or around you. There could be some gossip. There, be, Really be careful not to fall into that uh, you know, it's going to be very strong on Monday. It's a day of, of the moon. The moon is in Cancer on top of the black moon in Cancer. Not the easiest thing. So just watch it a little bit. And at the same time, it's con it's creating a square, which means conflict with Chiron, which is the the wounded healer. So it, yes, it could be a little bit wounded uh, tomorrow in uh, Monday. Um, also, Saturn is on top of Vesta which is a very traditional planet, and they're both squaring Uranus, which is, again, not the easiest day. So tomorrow, Monday, I'm not sure it's the best thing to do too many things around that time. Um, you can just maybe try to glide away into Tuesday somehow. Tuesday is much easier because the moon is going to be sextiling, which is a good energy to Venus and to the sun. Uh, so that's going to be really helpful. It's even sextiling a little bit of uh, Mercury. So it puts together emotions with thoughts or ideas with your feelings and the ability to manifest them. Um, Mars and Venus are not having a good time. So uh, that's a little bit easier, going to get easier and easier because Venus is escaping Mars. But still, it's uh, not the most comfortable in relationships. So you have some issues in relationship. It's totally normal. But the moon is still going to be in Cancer, but she might be a little bit... No, actually, she's not going to be that much uh, void, of course. 
So again, the moon and the sun are sending beautiful energy in Tuesday. If you can wait with things until Tuesday, that will probably be better. So today and Tuesday are very linked in a good way. Wednesday, the energy shifts a little bit because we're moving into the moon in Leo. There's more uh, energy, there's more fire, there's more action, there's more creativity happening at that time. The moon is going to be sending a beautiful energy to Jupiter. That's always good. It talks about some good energy coming from women, from family members, for, uh, from uh, women bosses, or just uh, people that you have a lot of connection emotionally to. There is actually a good day for homes, for doing something in your home. Uh, Jupiter is sending such good energy to the moon always puts together education with emotions, travel into places. Maybe if you're traveling someplace in Wednesday, it could be that you're even not knowing, traveling to a place that you might consider home or lived in past lifetimes. So there's really beautiful, positive energy happening Wednesday, especially if you can be active and in connection to your work, because we still have two more days of sun in Virgo, which is all about diet, health, and work. And then what's happening on uh, the 22nd and 23rd is really interesting because the sun is going to move on the 22nd, 23rd into Libra. I told you it's one of the four holidays of the astrological year, the two solstices and the two equinox. Uh, we're talking about a very auspicious time. That's why Tolkien also decided that the, uh, that, uh, the Hobbit, what's his name? Um, Bilbo is going to be born on the 23rd of September. That's the International Hobbit Day, by the way. But it's really the equinox. He knew very well what he was doing. And he decided to give him the birth on a very auspicious time. If your son falls on one of the solstice or equinoxes, you're kind of a, a half divine in a sense. Uh, that's why all of the gods were born on the winter solstice. So any if you're born close to the 21st, 22nd of March, of September, of July, of uh, uh, December, you're a very, very, you're born in a very auspicious time. So anyway, the 22nd, 23rd, very powerful time to celebrate. Maybe do something that creates balance in your life. Uh, maybe do something that with fire and with water, with action and reception. Maybe just pay attention. What's happening to you in Thursday, Friday, that generates uh, balance or forces you to be more balanced or forces you to look at things in a more clear way. So that will be also very, very good for you. And the moon continues to be in... Leo, which is very positive. The only thing on Thursday is that the moon is opposite to Saturn. There could be some pushback from family members. There could be some more feeling emotionally feeling down. There could be some uh, a little bit of sadness in the air. So don't take it personally. And then officially on the 23rd, which is a Friday, is when the equinox is happening. And at the same day, Mercury is moving zero, zero degrees Libra, as you can see, on top of the sun. This is really, really powerful. That's the Mercury-Sun conjunction. And it's a really important conjunction. It's happening on a Friday and it's happening right on the equinox. So the 23rd of uh, September, it's a Friday, do something special. Maybe I'll actually do a live uh, Instagram on that day to kind of guide us through a meditation. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do on uh, September 23rd, we'll do a guided meditation here on live Instagram uh, under cosmic dash, dash, is it dash? Yeah, little line in the bottom. Uh, no, it's not dash, it's underscore, sorry. Cosmic underscore navigator. Some of you guys are already there in the live Instagram, but we're going to definitely do a, a deep meditation 
to kind of balance ourselves at that day just because we have Mercury on top of the sun. It's a great day for ideas, retrieving things I told you that are lost for you, getting back money that is owed to you, getting ideas back, getting back to projects that maybe you've uh, neglected in the past. September 24 is a Saturday. We're getting closer and closer to the new moon and the moon moved into Virgo. So the moon is going to be in Virgo with Venus in Virgo, Mercury in Virgo. It's uh, a lot of Virgo energy and Venus and Mars are coming. Venus and Mercury are starting to come together. Next week, they're coming together, which is great news for anybody who is an artist. It's going to bring a lot of creativity. Let's see what you guys have. Um, Let's see if you have any questions. Um, I'm looking to see. Yeah, in the beginning of the... Um, I'm not... Let's see. Buddhist and Hawaiian spirituality. She's on the Rainbow Bridge now. Yeah, the Rainbow Bridge. The Rainbow Bridge. The Rainbow... At the end of the Rainbow, there is a... Um, a part of gold, right? Gold is considered to be yellow. King Charles getting mad about the leaking pen. Oh, that was before we talked about it or after we talked about it? I think it's probably after. Before, sorry. What's the difference from uh, what other crowds would have done? Um, maybe you mean the crowds of uh, people standing there? Well, I don't know. If you think about lines in Israel, people will probably push and people will probably hire people to uh, wait for them in line and then take their, uh, their place. I don't know. Yeah, I'm thinking about... Um, Lines in Istanbul or in places like India. I'm not sure if it would have worked that well, you know. Be great to see. Um, the only problem with the the Saturday, the 10th of September, was that it was right on the border between the 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 stationary Mercury and the Mercury retrograde. So I'm a little bit concerned about that. Let's see. You know, and we, we talk about immigration. We talked about immigration. I mean, think about it. DeSantis, it's not really a very typical American last name. Uh, and if you think about it, everybody is an immigrant. We talked about it so many times because it started all the way back 300,000 years ago when some homo sapiens sapiens decided we are out of Africa. We're moving away. And they started getting out of there, getting all the way to Europe, getting all the way to Australia. I mean, everybody in United States, at least in America, everybody in America is a foreigner. Even if you're born here from the 10th generation, even if you came with the Mayflower, even if you came, I don't know, uh, at the 16th century, you're not a native. Sorry. And you know what? The Native American, the First Nations, whatever you want, uh, they're also immigrants. They just came 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 years ago. Who cares? Who's counting? You know, they also are immigrants. They crossed over the Bering and they came from Siberia and they came from um, Central Asia. And even those people that are their forefather, they were not native to Asia. Nobody's native to Asia. They basically came from Africa. So... The only place where there is actually people who are native and always been there could be maybe Africa. So that's the only place that can complain about immigration. The rest of the world talking about immigrants versus us is ridiculous. And it's so ridiculous here in the United States when I hear, you know, some 
sorry about it, but some Latin politicians who are anti-immigration, even though their mother, they themselves are immigrants. That's just so, I mean, I have no words for that. So anyway, uh, we're not going to end with uh, no words. It's not very good. But I think that we are all immigrants because, quite frankly, it could be that we are all immigrate to this planet uh, as souls from other planets. So it's not even the only homo, human same, uh, homo sapiens sapiens. Maybe even before homo sapiens sapiens, we are all immigrants landing here from different planets. So get over the whole immigration thing. Anyway, so I hope you have an amazing, amazing uh, week, an amazing new moon. We'll talk about it next week, of course. We'll continue our discussion about the chart of humanity. We'll do it next week to honor Rosh Hashanah and to honor Adam and Eve who never were. And I'm saying goodbye to everybody. You can see that I'm scrolling through all the uh, people. And thank you guys for joining the live Instagram. I hope to see you. In New York, I'm going to be there between the 1st to the 8th of October. And definitely join me on Omega the 14th to the 16th to learn how to read your charts. And also, maybe you can um, join me on the book signing. I'll make one. I'll do one also in LA, of course. Have an amazing week, amazing um, uh, solstice, uh, equinox. And I will see you soon.